0: listening to the mystical city of god in a year podcast i'm father edward looney and throughout the year i'm reading and reflecting on the four volume over 2500 page work by the venerable maria of Agreda. and if you would like to share your own thoughts and reflections about today's reading head on over to facebook to the mystical city of god in a Year podcast group and there you can do so with others who are reading and following along Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agredov. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. Amen. Today is day number 200, and we are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 17, Paragraphs 184-190. to 190. Chapter 17. The doings of Most Holy Mary after the death of St. Joseph and some of her dealings with the holy angels. 184. Christian perfection is all included in the two states of life known to the Church, the active and the contemplative life. To the active life belong all the operations of the body and the senses, practiced in our intercourse with our neighbor in temporal affairs. They embrace a wide field and include the practice of the moral virtues, which constitute the perfection of our active life. To the contemplative life belong the interior activities of the understanding and will, aiming at the most noble and the spiritual objects proper to the rational creature. Therefore, the contemplative life is more excellent than the active, and, as it is, more quiet, more delightful and beautiful. It is also more desirable in itself. It tends more directly toward the highest end, that is, God, since it consists in the deepest knowledge and love of God, and thus participates of the qualities of eternal life, which is entirely contemplative. These two lives, the two sisters, Martha and Mary, Luke 10, 41, the one quiet and thoughtful, the other solicitous and bustling, or those other two sisters and wives, Leah and Rachel, the one fruitful but ugly and with sore eyes, the other beautiful and gracious but sterile in the beginning. For the active life is more productive, Though in it the soul is taken up with numerous and various occupations, during which it is kept in disturbance, and cannot raise itself up to penetrate the high things of God, while the contemplative life is most beautiful, although in the beginning not so productive, because its fruits are to be the result of prayer and merits. These presuppose great advance in the perfection and in the friendship of God, which draw down the liberality of God in favor of other souls and produce the fruits of benediction, very copious and very precious. 185. The combination of these two lives is the acme of Christian perfection, but this combination is very difficult. We do not see both kinds of life united in one person, but existing in a remarkable degree separated in Martha and Mary, in Leah and Rachel, representing singly either the active or the contemplative life. In none of them could both the active and the contemplative life be properly represented on account of the difficulty of combining the practice of both in one subject to any great extent. Although the saints have labored much— to attain this perfect combination, and all the teachers of spiritual life have sought to direct souls toward it, although there are so many instructions of learned and apostolic men, and the examples of the apostles and of the founders of the holy religion, who have sought to join contemplation with action as far as possible with divine grace. Yet they always knew that the active life, on account of the multitude of its interests and occupations concerning inferior objects, dissipates the heart and disturbs it, as the Lord tells Martha. Although those engaged in it may seek quiet and repose in order to raise themselves to the highest objects of contemplation, they never succeed in doing so during this kind of life without great difficulty, and only for a short time except by a special privilege of the Most High. On this account, the saints that wished to give themselves up to contemplation sought the deserts and solitudes, which are more favorable to that kind of life, and the other that pursued the active life and the care of souls by teaching and exhortation set aside some of their time for retirement from exterior activity and divided their days between contemplation and active life. By thus attending to both with perfection, they attained the merits and rewards of the two kinds of life, founded on love and grace as their principal support. One eighty-six, The most blessed Mary alone joined these two lives in a perfect manner. The highest and most ardent contemplation was not hindered by her occupations in the act of life. In her was the solicitude of Martha without its excitement, and the quiet and rest of Mary without idleness of the body. She possessed the beauty of Rachel and the fruitfulness of Leah, and only this great and prudent queen truly exemplified what these sisters mysteriously typified. Although she attended upon her ailing spouse and supported him and her most holy son by her labor, she did not on that account interrupt or curtail her heavenly contemplations, nor was she under any necessity of seeking solitude or retirement in order to restore the quiet and peace of her heart, and raise it beyond the seraphic regions. Yet, when she found herself alone and deprived of the company of St. Joseph, she so arranged her exercises as to spend her time entirely in the interior activity of divine love. She immediately perceived by her insight into the interior of her Most Holy Son that such was his will, that she should relax her labors by which she had attended to the wants of St. Joseph through night and day. And that instead of this hard labor, she should now join his majesty in his prayers and exalted works. 187. The Lord also reminded her that for the moderate nourishment necessary to them, it would be sufficient to engage in labor only for a short time each day. For from that time on, they were to eat only once a day at eventide having until now followed another custom out of regard to St. Joseph, and in order to keep him consoling company at mealtimes. Thenceforward, Jesus and Mary ate but once a day at about six o'clock in the evening. Many times their meal consisted merely of bread. At other times the Blessed Lady added fruits or herbs or perhaps fish, and this formed the only refreshment of the sovereigns of the heaven and earth. Although their frugality and abstinence had always been great, Yet it was greater after they were left alone, and they never dispensed themselves except in regard to the kind of food and in regard to the time of taking it. When they were invited, they ate a little of what was offered to them, without abstaining entirely, commencing to practice the advice which Jesus was afterwards to give to his disciples for their conduct while preaching the gospel. The simple food used by the heavenly sovereigns was served by the great lady to her divine son on her knees having asked permission thus to serve it. Sometimes she also prepared it in that posture, moved thereto by the thought that it was to serve as nourishment of the true Son of God. 188. The presence of St. Joseph was no hindrance to the Most Blessed Mother in treating her son with all due reverence, not missing the least point of what this reverence toward him demanded. But after the death of St. Joseph, the great lady practiced prostrations and genuflections much more frequently, for there was always more freedom for such actions in the presence of her holy angels than in the presence of her spouse who was man. Many times she remained prostrate upon the ground until the Lord commanded her to rise. Very often she kissed his feet, at other times his hand. Usually she was filled with tears of the profoundest humility and reverence. She always stood in the presence of her divine Son in the posture of adoration and most ardent love, awaiting his divine pleasure and intent upon imitating his interior virtues. Although she had no faults and was not guilty of even the least imperfection or negligence in the service and love of her most holy Son, her eyes, like those of the servant and of the anxious handmaid, mentioned by the Prophet only more devotedly, were continually upon the hands of her Master." in order to obtain the graces she desired for assisting her to greater perfection. It cannot enter into human thought what divine science aided her in understanding and performing so many and so great works in union with the incarnate word during the time they both lived alone together, without any other company than that of the holy angels, of their guard and service. They alone were the eyewitnesses and were moved to admiration and to highest praises to see themselves so inferior in wisdom and purity to a mere creature who is worthy of such holiness. For she alone made a full return for the graces she received. 189. With the holy angels, the Queen of Heaven entered into a sweet emulation and strife in regard to the ordinary and humble services which were necessary for the comfort of the Word of God and the well-ordering of their little dwelling. For there was no one to attend to these things except the heavenly lady and those most noble and faithful vassals and ministers who for this purpose assisted in human forms ready and anxious to attend to all the work. The great queen wished to perform all the humble work herself and with her own hands to scrub the house and arrange its poor furnishings, wash the dishes and cooking utensils and set the rooms in order. But these courtiers of the Most High Being truly courteous and more expeditious, though not more humble in their operations, usually anticipated these services before the queen could find time to perform them. Sometimes, and at certain periods often, she would find them thus at the work which she was about to perform, the holy angels having begun it beforehand, but at her word they desisted and allowed her to satisfy her humility and devotion in completing it herself in order that they might not interfere with her affectionate desires, she said to the holy angels, Ministers of the Most High, you are such pure spirits that you reflect the light of the divinity for my illumination, and therefore these low and servile occupations are not suitable to your state, your nature, and condition. These pertain to me, who besides being only of earth and the lowest of the mortals and the least of the servants of the Lord and Son, Permit me, my friends, to perform this service to which I am bound, since I can thereby gain merits which, on account of your station and dignity, you do not need. I know the value of these servile works which the world despises, and the Lord has given me this knowledge not in order that I may allow them to be done by others, but that I may perform them myself." 190. Our Queen and Lady answered the angels, It is true that in thy eyes and in the estimation of the Lord these works are as valuable as thou knowest them to be. But if thou dost thereby earn the precious rewards of thy humility, take notice that we would be deficient in obedience to the Lord if we would knowingly omit any of these works permitted us by the Most High. The merits which thou losest in not performing this service Thou, O lady, canst easily make up by the mortification of denying thyself the desire of executing them. The most prudent virgin answered these arguments by saying, No, my masters and sovereign spirits, you must look upon these works in such a light. For if you consider yourselves bound to serve me as the mother of your great Lord, whose creatures you are, remember that he has raised me from the dust to this great dignity, and that therefore my debt of gratitude for this benefit is greater than yours.' As my obligation is so much the greater, my return must also be greater than yours. If you desire to serve my son as his creatures, I likewise must serve him on this account. I am more bound to do so because I am the mother of such a son. Thus you will always find me more obliged than yourselves to be humble, thankful, and annihilated to the very dust in his presence. This concludes our reading today for day number 200. We've been reading from volume 3 Book 5, chapter 17, paragraphs 184 to 190. One of the things a person realizes, especially in the grief that they have after somebody dies, is they begin to notice how their life has changed as a result. That if the person was really a caregiver, well now all of that time dedicated to caregiving, now there's emptiness. There's things that a person tries to find, to fill that void, because what they once were doing, they no longer are doing. And there could be changes in habits or what have you, and we see that a little bit in our reading today, that just the way in which the Holy Family, Jesus and Mary now, how they dine, it's different because they used to eat more Because they wanted to keep company with St. Joseph. But now that St. Joseph is no longer with them, it says they only eat one meal a day. So talk about intense intermittent fasting. But this is what the Holy Family does. And so now they're able to do this because their life looks different. If you've lost someone in your own life, maybe that's something to consider. How has your life changed? Because of that. That's what it says in the, one of the prefaces for the masses for the dead. It says, life has changed, not ended. It's really talking about the change for that person. Life has changed for them. They're no longer here, but it's not ended. But I think we can look at the bereaved and say, well, life has changed for them. And also it's not ended. Life continues now in the midst of grief. The other component of our reading today was that tension between the active and the contemplative life. And, and we see that even in the church, that there are religious orders that are contemplative. They're cloistered. They dedicate their whole life to prayer. That's the life of Maria of Agreda. She's a cloister nun. But then you have other religious sisters who are active, who are teachers, who are taking care of the sick. Active and contemplative, we see a union of that in the person of Mary, as Maria of Agreda explained. Maybe just take an inventory of your own life. You are active, you are in the world, you have family, and you are living your life. But do you make time for contemplation? Do you make time for the things of God? I hope you do, and of course, by listening to the mystical city of God, you are. But how do you continue to engage the contemplative life? I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.